the one that had no choice in this, right? You know, like when you realize, like, you know, my, my adoptive parents had a choice. They, cho- they chose to adopt. My birth mother had a choice, even though in some senses she didn't. But there were still choices made, right, right, right. that weren't my choices. That's right. I mean, I'm the only one that, that completely had no choice. So I realized that, like, in this, in reunion, I can choose who I have relationships with and who I don't. You know, I, I, you know so I realized it's okay. Like, I don't need to make this work with my birth mother. Who am I? 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 This is Who Am I Really? A podcast about adoptees that have located and connected with their biological family members. I'm Damon Davis, and on today's show is Allison. She called me from Massachusetts. After the adoptive father that she loved so much died, Allison learned her birth father was looking for her, and she took it as a sign of good things to come. Sadly, she found herself disappointed in him and later in her birth mother, whom he had contacted without telling her. However, after Allison took legal action to gain access to her adoption records from the agency who refused to turn over her information, she finally laid eyes on the detailed context of her past that means so much to her, and only her. This is Allison's journey. This is Allison. I just want to tell you that I, you know, I found your podcast not that long ago. I always like to hear how the show is impactful for people. And um, I, I shot you an email after the first one I listened to. She interviewed your friend. She's talking about one of my lifelong buddies, Andre, whom I featured way back in my very first episode. And he he actually used this person named Sheila Frankel in his search. Yeah. And at some point in my journey, she helped me in, um, in actually getting my unredacted adoption record. Are you serious? So that was kind of a, a, a small world thing. I was like, oh, my gosh, like his story was so much like mine. Holy crap, And then, you know, amazing. so I've listened. Yeah, it was amazing. And then I've just been, you know, listening. I'm not not done, but it's impressive how many I've listened to. I just, I'm always plugged in. Oh, that's really um, and cool. I just, well, I just can't believe you did this. Like, it's so good. Thank you. And there's so many people like us, and we need to hear each other's stories. So, um, yeah. yeah, so I completely appreciate it. It's really good. Oh, man, I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. And now here we are. Allison is episode 85. Crazy how time flies in this small world of ours. Anyway. Allison's parents had tried to have children for almost 10 years before they adopted her older brother, Bradley, in 1961. She was born in 1963 in Boston. Two years later, their mother gave birth to their sister after 15 years of infertility. Allison said she always knew she was adopted and her parents always made it special and tried to normalize it. So much so that their sister... My sister actually had voiced, you know, like when we were young adults you know, a little bit of sadness that she wasn't adopted. <laughs> really? My parents made like such a big de- deal about it that she always felt like, well, who's going to make a big deal out of me, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, like, it was, you know, funny because she is important and we all love her. And, um, but of she was kind of like, you know, I just wish I was also picked out special, yeah. um, which is sort of the vernacular back then, which isn't used now in adoption. But that's, you know, kind of how 
I think, you know, parents were kind of coached to, to, to share that with their adopted kids. That's interesting. You so, know, I never um, really thought about that. There, you know, there's a lot of uh, discussion online and with mm-hmm. folks who are, you know, considering adoption or who have adopted and how they should treat right. their adopted children. And, you know, I, I have mixed emotions about sort of having a birthday for the child and a, I hate the word gotcha day, but the the right, idea right. of yeah. bringing the child home, like the day that we became a family, because if you are just trying to be normal, like constantly mm-hmm. raising it can actually keep it at the forefront of your mind if, if you want to just forget and just be yourself. And I hadn't really considered right, what it right. means for a biological child of the parents to have to endure mm-hmm. that. That's really interesting. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Yeah, it was it was really a thing for her. I mean, she wasn't joking. She it really it, it bothered her. Yeah. Um, I could see that. So Yeah. Wow. Yeah, 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 me too. Um and you know, and and, and you know, on the flip side, I was actually, you know, you know, one of my struggles being adopted was not not so much the longing for my birth parents, but I just wish that I had been born to my parents that adopted me. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I just wish I was just theirs. Why? Um, what did you feel you know, that without, you want that? There's some othering, I think, that happens when you're adopted. So, for example, you know, like, we were super open about adoption in my family. And um, so if I would share with somebody, you know, like, people would always comment. So there's three of us, and people would say, oh, my gosh, you guys don't look alike. So we would, if whoever, whoever it was in my family would say, oh, that's because, you know, Allison and Bradley were adopted and Candace wasn't or whatever. And people would often say like the weirdest stuff, like, like, Oh my gosh, you know, my brother used to tease me that I was adopted and I was so upset. I was hysterical until my parents told me that I wasn't like, you know, like it was seen as this like awful thing uh-huh. to be adopted yeah. or another, another thing that happened to me is when, so my, my dad is my adoptive father passed away when I was 17 and it was it was awful, and we were we were really close. So I, you know, I had this part time job at a department store, and I'd gone back to work like a week after he had died. But I was still a mess, and um, so I had gone like to the break room and to the bathroom to kind of collect myself. So I was, you know, in the bathroom, like in a stall, like kind of you know crying and wiping my eyes. And these two two coworkers, who were also teenagers, walked in, and they were talking about me because they didn't know I was in there. And one of them said, "Oh my gosh, you know, Allison's so upset." about her father and then the other one said i don't know why she's so upset he wasn't even her real father oh my gosh yeah so think you know it's like little things like that that i just didn't like i didn't like that it it didn't i didn't feel different in my family but i know that other people saw me differently yeah, yeah. um and i yeah i didn't care for that yeah right you know i didn't like yeah that's like so what that i was, was saying that was sort of it. you just want to feel normal and if you're you constantly reminded normal. of it, it's kind of annoying. Right. Allison followed up by pointing out that their two youngest children are also adoptees, and they love making a big deal out of the day they were adopted too. They were older at the time of their adoptions, so they know when it's their special day on the calendar, and it doesn't hurt that they receive a present too. She said they talk about the memories of when the children first arrived in their home, just like a natural child likes to hear about their own arrival into their parents' world. She said she even loved to hear the story of her own arrival into her parents' home. They went to pick her up, forgot the diaper bag, and of course, she pooped everywhere. And I loved it. I loved that story. I loved, you know, like I, you know, I was pretended to be embarrassed that, that they would, you know, talk about that. 
right. pooping incident. <laughs> <laughs> but I like I, but I totally I loved that story. I loved that like this is how you became our story. This yeah. That sort of was, you know, because I had no I had no idea about my own birth, so I think I liked that. When reflecting on her parents, Allison gushed over how amazing they were. So my parents were just completely lovely. Like I can't. They're both gone now, mm. and um, but I can't overemphasize like how truly great they were as parents. Like just like super loving, really affectionate, completely dependable, um, really good listeners. Um, I mean, I never felt any sort of discrepancy between like how my brother and I were treated and my sister. You know, I felt like we were a really good family unit, and it was a very normal, um, you know, growing up year. Mm-hmm. You know, it was all it was good. It was really good. But she said her brother was incredibly defiant toward their parents, and he had some problems that may have stemmed from his adoption. His substance abuse began at a young age, so he has struggled. There are times when he can't necessarily be involved with the family because he's off doing his own thing, but he and Allison are still connected. So I wondered if things were so good in her home, what made her search for her biological family? She said she didn't search, but she definitely would have. Allison had all of the classic curiosities that adoptees have about whom they look like and what personality traits they got from each parent. Her parents gave the kids their non-identifying information, but it was very generalized, and she learned later not a lot of it was true. Yeah, super general, and also later I learned out super not true. Like, it, it talked about my birth father's family being um, that he was young and completing his education. And the truth was he was away at reform school. He was a, a kid that was in a lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. And also that his family was well-respected in the community. And that was also not true. I mean, he grew up in chaos. He grew up in, you know, like every housing project in Boston. He was one of, I think, like seven kids with six different fathers and um, a lot of abuse and mm-hmm. awfulness. Like it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, like I'm reading, well, you know, owned his own business and well-respected in his community. I mean, that's just a, you know, like a flat-out lie. Oh, wow. Um, okay. So, and it, that was that was typical then. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, yeah. I just think, like, that was just, you know, they'd, they'd tell the adoptive parents a good story. In 1982, Allison was in college where she had a friend, a redhead, freckle-faced woman named Tara, who was also adopted, had met her birth mother, and Tara and her birth mother looked just alike. When Allison learned that Tara had called her adoption agency when she was 18, and learned there was a letter from her birth mother waiting for her, Allison was envious of Tara for having completed her search. She went to the payphone in the dormitory's hallway to call her own adoption agency because she just knew there must have been a letter waiting for her as well. Because weirdly, I just always assumed um, that my birth mother loved me and was sad to have had to give me up, and mm-hmm. that she would, would I think she, I just felt like she must have wanted to know, and um, you know that I was okay or in any of it. So I called the agency and um, you know talked to somebody there, and she said, "No, <laughs> like nothing there." And I was like, kind of like, "Why? How can that be?" Yeah. <laughs> and I and I was I was like really disappointed. Not knowing what else to do, Allison just moved on. She married her current husband, Kurt, after her college graduation in 1983. That same year, she broke out in a severe case of psoriasis that covered her body from head to toe. It was her second such episode in her life. I went to a new dermatologist, and he, of course, asked for my family history. And I felt so angry that I didn't have history. And I was used to that. I mean, my whole life, you know, I'd say, no, I'm adopted, no, I'm adopted, and... 
and this time it really hit me like how unjust that is to, to not have information like that. So I was angry and I called the adoption agency again and I talked to this woman named Mrs. Kelly and I said, listen, I, I've, I called like a year ago. I know my birth mother, you know, never didn't, didn't put anything in my file. So I'm not looking for that. But what I'm looking for is medical information. And is there any way you have more in, medical information about me or can get it for me? Because I, I just need to know these things. So she said, well, you know, Allison, let me look. And um, so she, she said, I'll call you back tomorrow. And um, I said, okay. You know, I'm not expecting anything, right? And um, so she calls me back and she said, Allison, um, I, I need you to sit down. I said, yeah, okay. And she goes, you're not sitting down, are you? And I'm like, no. We just, you know, like, what? no, I'm not. Just tell me what you need to tell me. And so she said, um, I, I'm, I really need you to sit down. So I sat down and she said, your birth father called here two weeks ago looking for you. Wow. And I was like, what? Like, and it wasn't like, I, so I was 20. So it wasn't like a trigger age, you know, like 18 or 21. You know, right. those, you know. Yeah. And, um. And it was like just two weeks before I called, and I wasn't looking for anyone at that point, although I always wanted to know. So there's no, like, you know, that, that's just a fact I wanted to know. So she said, are you interested in meeting him? And I was like, yeah, of course I am. I've never met anybody I'm related to by blood. And so, and then also, interestingly, time-wise, you know, my dad had, had just died in 1981, so it's two years. Yes, yeah, so it's two years. We're still really grieving my dad. Um, he, when I was in seventh grade, he um, got cancer, and so he had to have his leg amputated, and the cancer had spread, and and you know he ended up dying five years after he was diagnosed, and it was awful. And my family, he was our rock, and I was very close to him, and um, it was really horrendous when he died. Just this huge loss, and so all of a sudden there's this guy looking for me who's my birth father and I thought this might be good I mean I not even for a minute felt like oh great I have a new dad right like nobody could replace my dad right but I did think like this guy's got to be pretty solid like here he is looking for me you know like he doesn't have to do that um he, he must have missed me he must have wanted to know about me like I just felt like this could be really good like he must be if nothing else, I was sure he was a decent guy and yeah. he was looking for me. Oh, yeah. And, um, yeah, so she, so she said, so, you know, I said, yeah, I, I definitely want to meet him. So the social worker said she would meet with Allison's birth father, Tim, follow up with her, then arrange a meeting with the three of them. Allison said in hindsight she thinks the intermediary was trying to warn her that Tim might not be the kind of man she was expecting to meet. The woman told Allison that Tim was 35 years old. Keep in mind, Allison was only 20 at the time. He was 15 when she was born. She continued with a forewarning that he struggled with drugs and alcohol and had been in trouble with the law. He has several kids with different women, but he claimed to be stable at that moment, and he wanted to meet Allison. Wait until you hear how bizarrely this first meeting went. So in my head, like... Initially, when she said, you know, your birth father wants to meet you, I pictured an adult. Like, I pictured somebody that was stable, somebody that, you know, like the kind of guy that would put on a jacket and tie to meet his birth daughter. That's yeah. who I pictured. Right. Because you know, that would be my dad. It's, and it's also sometimes hard 
not to create a surrogate for the father that you already know. You know, probably you probably pictured yeah. someone yeah. who was like could have been one of your father's peers. You know, because it's hard. A hundred percent. Yes. Right. Yeah, I totally did. Like, I was really, I was hopeful. Like, I really didn't want to replace my dad, and I didn't think he. I mean, he wasn't replaceable, but I really felt like this might be really good for me, and um, so. So anyway, so I, you know, like she was kind of like asking me, I think in her own way to lower my expectations. And, um, but I still was like excited on the day that we were to meet together. Um, you know, I remember like getting dressed and like I wore, so this is, so this is 1983. So I wore like a skirt and a blazer and nice shoes. And, you know, like I, I put, I like picked out pictures that I wanted to share with him. You know, I I figured he wants to know everything. Right. I mean, he's looking for me Mm -hmm. and, um, so I like picked up pictures and I like mentally like, you know, like did highlights in my mind, like the highlights of my life. Right. You know, like what, what, what is he going to want to know? You know, kind of like, yeah. you know, like thinking it through so I wouldn't be tongue tied. And I remember riding. So I took the T, you know, which is like the subway system in Boston mm-hmm. and um, or the trains too, but this, I was on a train. And I remember like looking at my reflection when I was in the T and thinking, I wonder if he's going to think I'm pretty. Like, I really worried, you know, like, I just wondered how he would see me and accept me and hmm. if he would like me, you know, and so, and I was super nervous. Yeah. Um, but weirdly, I wanted to go alone. Like, my husband, my husband's just the best. And he was like, you know, I'll go with you. And I said, no, 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 I've got this. And he goes, I, I can wait in the lobby. I just, you know, want to be there for you. And I'm like, no, 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 I've got this. And I was, and I've always felt very independent about that. Like, you know, like, this is my, my thing. And so... I went and, you know, it was a wreck. Really? And um, I was in a room. Uh, yeah, I was like, you know, really, it was just like, you know, this is the first time, and I know you've been through this, that I'm going to meet someone that I'm related to biologically. Like, it's huge. So she put me in a conference room, and then a couple minutes later, she brought Tim in. You know, this is my biological father. So, you know, I'm sitting, and he walks in, and he's like, so he's got, like, long hair, and he's wearing a leather jacket, and t-shirt and jeans and he like looks at me and he looks real young I mean he's 35 but he looked really young and he's like oh my god oh my god it's like looking in a mirror and you know like he was so like floored I guess that you know that he felt our physical resemblance was really strong mm-hmm. and then he goes uh, he goes uh, can I touch your face and I was like you know like I think that's something only blind people do yeah. and um, <laughs> you know like like that's so weird it's right really and I was intimate. like what? yeah yeah, I was just like, my, why would you, like, we didn't even hug. And I was like, okay. And so he like, you know, touched my face and he's like, oh my God, oh my God, this is amazing. You look so much like me. And, you know, like that was like really meaningful to him. Like he, he, he really wanted, like he wanted to see that resemblance and he did. Um, I, on the other hand, was having a hard time seeing it, but I was a mess, you know, like I was off balanced. I was yeah. like thrown by his by him, you know, and I'm like, I don't, I don't know, maybe, you know, like there's, I see maybe, you know, like maybe this, maybe that. So then he just, you know, so after he touches my face and, you know, he just, you know, kind of the Mrs. Kelly, so was that social worker said, I'll leave you two alone to get acquainted. So, (laughs) so he's like, he just starts talking. Um, He said, um, I'm trying to think how we start. He said, oh, he started with, I'm an alky. And I was like, oh, I don't know what that is. And he's like, I'm an alcoholic. And I'm like, oh, okay. And he said, you know, and I'm you know, clean and sober and, um, you know, talked about that a little bit. And I was like, okay, okay. And then um, he said, so, so it's crazy, Allison. I, uh, I couldn't remember your, your mother's name for the life of me. This is my birth mother he's talking about. And I said, okay. 
and then, you know, then I did. And then I remembered, you know, Gene. And I'm like, you know, like, okay, like, it was just so crazy. And he goes, but I, and he leans in and he goes, I just want you to know, you know, you were conceived in love. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, I do not want to talk about my conception. Like, there's stuff I want to know, but my actual conception isn't on my list, <laughs> right? It just, that's just, I, I you know, re- really, I don't want to know. And then it, so I was like, um, um, you know, like, <laughs> stop talking like this. And I'm then he, trying not he to laugh, of, but that's. I know, please <laughs> laugh, because it's funny. Like, <laughs> right? Like, I, like, that's so weird. Like, the face touching, and then he's talking about my conception. And, and oh then, gosh. you know, like, it was, it, so then he goes, you know, listen, I think of you every September 26th without fail. And I said, I, I thank you. Um, but I do need to let you know my birthday is September 29th. And he's like, oh, oh he said the F word. And um, he's like, oh, I can't believe I, I can't believe I thought about you on the wrong day all these years. I thought about you on the wrong day. You want, and then he goes, you want to know why that is? That was my sister Patty's birthday. And I'll tell you something about her. She killed herself. Oh, and no. so this is like, seriously, this is the stuff he's firing at me. Yeah, she killed herself. Uh, and this is him talking, you know, uh, in, in the car, in the garage. She killed herself. And then you know what? Two weeks later, my brother Alan did the same thing in the same car. And so this is like, ser- like this is our first conversation. So Tim is rattling off things about the family. Allison is a mess and her head is spinning from all that he's hurling at her. He finally takes a breath, and Allison asks about her birth mother, Jean. He recounted how she was a nice girl from a nice family, too nice for him, and they hated him by his own account. They met when she was 17, he was 15, and they were in a church youth group in Boston. Her family was heavily involved with the Methodist church, so Jean was involved in the youth group, but Tim was involved for the opposite reason. He was constantly in trouble and the youth group was intended to be an intervention to help him straighten out. Gene and Tim started seeing one another outside of the group. Through all of Tim's rambling, Allison was still glad to hear her birth mother's name from his mouth and his recount of how her birth parents had connected. So then at some point, Mrs. Kelly came back in, and she said, how's it going in here? And I'm like giving her like the big eyes, like help me. And and he and Tim goes, it's great, it's amazing. I mean, we're like really hitting it off. And she's like, okay, great, all right, I'll give you some more time. And she shuts the door. And um and then he just just kept talking, and he never asked me anything about myself, like mm-hmm. not not one thing, not where did you grow up, what were your parents like, did you have any siblings? Yeah. I had pictures in my purse, I had stories in my head, and I didn't share any of them with them. It was just bizarre. And then so, you know, so he just kept talking and my heart's really pounding and I'm trying to process this. And you know, and I'm still I'm 20 and, and I have no, I have no Facebook group, group to turn to. I have no, like I had no prep. There were no books about this. Like this was just a whole crazy experience. Right. And, um, and so Mrs. Kelly came back in and said, listen, we're closing, we're closing up here. Um, you know, if you guys want to meet again here or get together on your own, he's like, we'll get together on our own. <laughs> okay. Well, um, but yeah, we're south back. So, so he goes, um, where are you parked? And I said, actually, I, I took the T in. Um, and he goes, oh, I'll drive you to, I'll drive you to the T station. I said, okay. And, um, he said, but first, you know, do you want to come to my house? So he lived in an apartment real close to the, the adoption agency in Boston with his then wife and um, like three-year-old son. 
you want to come meet my wife before I drive to the T station? And I said, yeah, okay. And so we did. So we went like into his apartment and I met his wife and she was nice. And she asked me a couple questions, which was cool. Cause I was like, finally, somebody wants to know something about me. <laughs> you know, so like we talked for a couple minutes, Kathy and I, and, um, and she really, she was nice. And then he showed me his son. So his son's like sleeping in a playpen in the middle of the living room. And I'm looking at him and like, he, it's weird. Cause Tim would, it's like, he couldn't connect that his son was my brother. Like he'd always just be like my son, you know, like, it was just weird. And yeah. so I'm looking at him thinking, like, in my head, like, this is my brother. This is my half-brother. I am related to this little tiny boy. Like, I'm trying to make this real. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I, you know, and I didn't really feel anything. Like, I, I just thought that I thought that was a big deal, and I just, I just couldn't. I just, it just felt so weird. Instead of driving her back to the train station where she arrived to meet him at the adoption agency, he drove Allison all the way back to the station where she originated her journey, where her car was parked. She said she's not sure why she let all of those things happen because she wasn't completely comfortable at any point. In fact, she could smell marijuana in his car, and she wasn't convinced he wasn't high when they met. When she saw her husband, Kurt, after the meeting, he asked how it all went. It was good. Um, And he's like, it was? And I'm like, yeah. You know, it was good. <laughs> like, I, I just, I didn't even know how I felt. I didn't know what to think. Yeah. You know, like, I, you know, and I, so I started telling Kurt, like, I got a lot, I got some information, and that was really helpful. And um, and he was nice. You know, like, like, I don't even know how, I didn't know how to describe it. Yeah, it sounds and like I it was such felt, a crazy, bizarre experience. But you also it felt. It was bananas. I also felt embarrassed. You know, like, I felt like I had some responsibility for this. Like, I opened this door, and what did I expect? So, and I think that's stupid now. I don't think I'm right, but I I felt some shame, you know, like, like I felt ashamed, honestly, that I was related to him because Mm -hmm. I thought he was so like bananas. I felt ashamed that I agreed to meet him because it was clearly a mistake. Um, Although I wasn't sure how clear I was on that at that point, but I I, I was starting to admit to myself that this wasn't right. Mm -hmm. And then I also felt super sad because it made me miss my dad. Mm -hmm. You know, like I was just like, how, how can this be that I, I had this great dad. Like, how could this be my biological reality? How? Yeah. I I can't even believe it. Lending some context to that era in her life. Allison reminded me that she and Kurt were a young couple. They had no money, so they didn't pay for a caller ID, nor did they have an answering machine on their landline phone at home. You remember those days when you couldn't screen your calls? You had to answer the phone with an exit strategy in mind if you didn't want to speak with the caller. Tim would call their house, and he would just talk and talk and talk about everything from the neighbors to his AA meetings. But he never asked Allison about herself. We continued to talk on the phone, but that was always like, and I never called him, like super stressful for me. Like, you know, like I realized how much I hated it and how I didn't want to have contact with him. And I would do things like, like, you know, like those long phone cords that they used to have before cordless phones. Mm-hmm. It's like we had a really long one in our apartment and I would stretch it out to our front door and I would ring the doorbell and I would say, oh, Tim, I've got to go. Uh, paper boys here. I've got to pay him, you know, or whatever it was, you know, I just tried to get off the phone as quickly as possible. Um, Yeah. And it was, it was really, it was just, it was just crazy. Within that year, Tim called at some point to drop the news that his wife had taken their son, Allison's brother and moved to Florida. He admitted he had been drinking again. At some point prior, 
Tim shared with Allison that he had been married before and she had a half-sister out there, but he and his ex-wife were not on good terms. She doesn't let me see her. I think she's fine. But he didn't really really have any knowledge of where this daughter was or what she was doing. And, um, and that disappointed me a lot. Like, I just felt like, why are you trying to be my father, in air quotes, and you're not even a father to the kids that are yours? Like, mm-hmm. that's a joke. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's just all awful. And so, in a, you know, at some point that came clean with, with Kurt, you know, my husband, and said, like, this, I'm just, this is just not what I was hoping for. And I am absolutely not going to look, look for my birth mother. I am done with reunion. Like, this is not, it's not for me. Mm-hmm. And he was like, that's, that's cool, Al. You know, like, that's cool. So how old and were you so when, about, when you reached that conclusion? You must have been about 22, 23? No, it was still probably in that first year. Oh, really? You know, okay. like, so, yeah. So because, because we had, so Tim and I had known each other about a year, and he called. So he called one night. And the other weird thing, when he would call here, is go, hey, sweetheart. And I, and I hated it because I hated that he assumed that I knew who it was. You know, mm-hmm. I, and I felt like it took, like, like, and, and I did know who he was, so who am I? But I just, like, I hated it. And um, so he called, you know, and my heart drops. I'm like, I just can't with this. And he goes, listen, I uh, just got off the phone with your mother. And, of course, you know, for me, mother is my mom who raised me. So I'm like, why would you call my mother? Oh, yeah. He goes, no, not, not, not your adoptive mother, your real mother, which also, like, kind of goes right through me, right? Oh, yeah. And, yeah, so I was like, uh-huh. And he said, and uh, she lives in California. She's got like five kids. She, uh, she's going to call you in an hour. And I was like, what? like what? <laughs> um, okay. You know, like, so he had tracked her down, I guess for me. Holy crap. And, um, right. So you're like on, on the mental outs with him in trying I'm to out. get away. I'm done, yeah. And he's bringing more. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. It was awful. Yeah, it was awful. And, wow. and, uh, so I, but you know, I'm like, oh my gosh. So this is like. So, um, you know, and she's going to call me in an hour. So you have this hour where, like, I mean, my heart was pounding out of my chest. And I was like, this is the person who gave birth to me. Like, this is a, this is a different ball game, You know, like, you know, as, as far as Tim, you know, it's hard for me to, to muster up any strong feelings for him. But Jean, I felt like, I mean, she gave me life. You know, like, I'd like to talk to her. Like, oh, yeah. I, you know, and, but I also, like, prayed she wasn't like him, too, right? And um, so, you know, I was real nervous. And so the the phone rings and um, I say hello and she's like Allison <laughs> and I said yep and she started crying and then she said I love you I have always loved you mm. I want to know everything about you and I was like oh <sighs> okay you know like it was great wow and um and so she was you know she was normal you know like which is, was sort of the bar for me now like just normal all I want and um and we talked on the phone for a long time and, you know, a lot of it's a blur, but she, you know, asked me, you know, a lot about like my family and where I grew up and if I was happy and, um, and I was able to, you know, tell her, yeah, you know, it's been great. And, um, you know, talked about my family and then she said, what do you want to know? And I said, I want to know what time I was born. You know, like alive, this was my first question. I don't know. Um, except for when I was growing up, that was like one of the things that always made me feel adopted, like the for some reason, my friends would all be like, I'm going to be 10, but not until 1245. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I had that <laughs> yeah, too. Yeah, so it's like a – yeah, it's awful, right? Yeah, I, and you know, I didn't realize it until I was an adult. And then I was like, wait yeah. a minute. She told me what time it was when she gave birth to me. And then I was like, you know, I never knew that. Yeah, right? I mean, it's like just a little fact that other people know. 
And, um, yeah. So she told me, she told me what time I was born ish. Cause she said, you know, they, they kind of, back then they did that twilight sleep and you know, they knock you out, but she's like, it was in the 10 o'clock hour at night. You know, like that was enough for me. Allison wanted to know everything and her birth mother shared openly. Jean was forced to go to a home for unwed mothers when she got pregnant and the adoption was forced as well. She shared the name of the hospital where Allison was born finally setting it apart from the multitude of hospitals around Boston where Allison guessed she could have been born. And she told the story of the nursing staff who was there to support her birth. You know, the nurses um, at the hospital weren't particularly kind to her. And there was one nurse who was really young who was really nice to her, and she would bring me to her every day. And so she was able to hold me and change my diapers and, you know, feed me and be with me. And that that was, you know, like really important important for her and that's amazing it was amazing right like that's so nice to know like that kindness of that one nurse yeah sure you know made made such an impact on her Jean has been married twice and has five children as a result learning all of these facts and having this great conversation with her birth mother felt right more like what she expected from a reunion it's a lot easier for people to communicate today than it was back then in those pre-internet days It used to be cheaper to wait until after 10 p.m. to make a long-distance call. And there was no email, so sending someone a note meant you were physically writing and mailing a letter. They talked on the phone sometimes, sent letters back and forth, including pictures from moments in their past lives, and it was really cool. It was great to see pictures of her siblings, but Allison was disappointed that even though there were five of them, she didn't really look like any of them. In time... Kurt and Allison scraped together the money for a cross-country flight from Boston to Riverside, California to meet her birth mother. It's a long flight, and when you're sitting next to someone for several hours on a plane, sometimes you strike up a conversation, like Allison did with the older couple near her. They asked what was taking her to California, and she said, And I said, I'm actually going to meet my birth mother for the first time. And they were like, oh, my gosh, this is crazy. So they said, as we got closer to landing, they're like, well, you know, like, we'll take pictures for you. And I said, that's, that's amazing. That's so nice. So I gave them my address. And, um, and they, they had, you know, like I had a camera, but they said, no, no, we'll use ours. We're comfortable with it. We'll send them to you, I promise. And so, so as we went to get off the plane, the, the, the woman of this couple goes, and we we're toward the front, but she says to everybody around us, let Allison off the plane first. She's going to meet her mother for the first time. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. So they were all like, oh, my gosh, of course, of course. So, so I got off the plane, like, first. But all the people that were around us on the plane, like, circled us and cheered when I met her. So oh she was there. God. So she was right there when I got off the plane, you know, with her husband. And it's like, so, you know, this couple, they were taking, you know, the wife was taking or the husband, I don't remember, were taking pictures. And then all the other people were clapping. Like, they were clapping. And then, like, when they left us and, like, you know, Jean and I were hugging. And it was, it was really, it was great. You oh know, like, a, you know, it's like it's. Yeah, but we had an audience, so it was, like, so funny. And, you know, like, even as they left us, like, people didn't just leave and walk away. They kind of, like, rubbed my back and, like, good luck. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it was so funny. Like, um, but it was, you know, it was, it was amazing to see her. I mean, I knew what to expect because I had sent pictures, and she had sent pictures to me, and it was emotional. You know, it was, it was a real thing. You know, like, this person carried me and gave birth to me. Allison stayed with Jean for five days. 
Jean's kids were, of course, younger than Allison, so they did some touristy things like go to Disney and Knott's Berry Farm to pass the time and to bond. Many nights, Allison and Jean just talked into the wee hours and asked one another a lot of questions and got a lot of answers. You know, so it was good, but a couple things happened that were like a little weird to me, like, or uncomfortable. Like one thing was we, so we'd, you know, kind of I would go do errands with her or whatever, and she would introduce me to people. And so she'd say, this is my daughter, Allison. And so I'm talking, if so, if the person I was talking to, you know, started a conversation with me and I said, and if I said anything about like growing up in Massachusetts or, you know, like anything that sort of like said that showed that I wasn't her, that I was her birth daughter, not her daughter. Mm-hmm. She, 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 Jean would like shoot me daggers, like look with her eyes. And I was like, really? what? Hmm. yeah. And she like did not like that. And like later she said, I, that makes me uncomfortable that you do that. And I was like, I didn't know it was a secret. I, you know, I really didn't know. Mm-hmm. And then she, and I, you know, I hated that. And then another thing she did a lot was, and you know, I kind of think like this, it was a rookie move. Like I didn't need to forgive her, I guess, but she would ever, she just kept claiming things about me. Like she, it's like, like I was wearing shorts and she'd go, Oh, you, you, you have knobby knees. You got that for me. You know, like things like that. Mm-hmm. And I don't like that. Like, I, I don't like being picked apart and claimed, you know, and even it was like, not just like, you know, like, Oh my gosh, our eyes are the same color. Like that's, normal right like and I think we did have that moment we do have the same color eyes and that was okay but it was like everything like she should say do you you know do you like to read and I say I love to read well you get that from me and Mm -hmm. I thought like back off you know like I get everything from you yeah like that's crazy and you know so I didn't like it and um and then I sort of made a rookie mistake too I think in that um when I talked to her I didn't talk about my mother very much I talked about my dad, um, I think partially because he had, you know, you know, he had died and I, I missed him and I had so much, you know, like I had a good relationship with him. And, and I, and I also, you know, I sense she was vulnerable and uncomfortable about my mother because when she did come up, she would get kind of cringy. And so I like kind of made a mental not to talk about my mother too much. And so, but I did say, you know, like something real, it was real normal, like, you know, I was always close to my dad, but my mother and I would butt heads a lot, especially when I was in high school. And, you know, that's like normal. That's normal, normal stuff, right? Oh, yeah. And, yeah. And so later, so I didn't know it at the time, but later she kind of used that information like as a weapon against me. So, you know, like there were a few signs during that first visit that maybe, like, maybe this wasn't going to be smooth sailing after all. So was your, if I understand you correctly, I feel like you're saying your mistake was not speaking more equally about both of your parents with your biological Yeah. Family. That's yeah, that's right. And, and you know, why I felt though? Like, because you said that you detected from her that it was uncomfortable for her. So why do you feel like that was your yeah. own mistake if you were picking up a signal and you sort of made I, a course oh, this, Yeah, you know, you're right. You're kind of making me feel better about that mistake. I I don't know. I just like you know why I think it was a mistake because later it came back to bite me. Allison fast forwarded a bit in her story. She said they continued their relationship over the years, speaking by phone, visiting one another. But at some point, it got strange between them, kind of uneasy. Jean seemed to be moody sometimes, critical of the things Allison said, and Allison felt like she just couldn't say anything right. It's around 1999, and email became a widely used communications tool, so their handwritten letters were gone. Jean started emailing links to birth mother websites. 
websites and they were like super angry birth mother websites. And they talked about things like our babies are stolen from us. And then our babies deserve mother love, not just material advantages. So things like that. And she'd send them to me. And I was like, why, like, why are you sending these to me? Like, this is not for me. This is for you. Like, I get her anger. I get how unfair things were for birth mothers in that era. Like, I understand her pain, but it wasn't my pain. And the whole thing that it said, our babies deserve mother love. I was ripped. I was ripping angry, like crazy. Like, like I had mother love. I had mother love. I had a mother mm-hmm. who I loved, who loved me. Yeah. I didn't lack from, I didn't lack for that. I didn't long for that from her. I had that. And so I just kept deleting them thinking she's just bananas. And so she called me one day and, um, and she goes, and I remember like so distinctly because so at the time we just had two girls that, that are biological to us. And um, so our, my older daughter was 10 and she was wearing a softball uniform. That's why I remember like, you know, like uh, how old she was. Mm-hmm. And my other one was, the other one was seven and they're sitting at the table eating chicken nuggets. And we're trying to like, go, go, go. Cause one of them had a softball game. And so Jean calls and she says, um, did you get a chance to look at those websites? And I said, you know, I did. And she goes, what did you think? And I said, I don't like them. And she said, why? I said, I had mother love. Like, I don't understand why you're sent. I don't know what you want from why are you Why are you sending these to me? And then she said, listen, I know you really loved your father and that he had a huge influence on your life. But what if your father, and I know this is crazy, she said, but what if your father was able to raise you with me? That, that's crazy, right? That's like, is your jaw dropped? Weird. Why would you say It was say super, that? Right. It was awful. I was like, so I said, I don't know what I said to you that would make you think saying that to me was okay. I loved my, I love my mother. I, I, I had a great mother. Like, why would you say that to me? Mm-hmm. And she said, you know what, Allison, you're very difficult. <laughs> <laughs> so I was, you know, and, uh, and I said, you know, that, that's probably true. You know, I, I prom- maybe I'm difficult. And then she said, you just make everything so hard. It's so hard to talk to you. And then um, I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm not particularly enjoying this conversation either. And I was mad because at this point, my girls had both like dropped their forks and they're staring at me like, what is happening, mom? So she said, you know, sometimes I wish I had never met you. And I said, you know, that can be arranged. Let's pretend we never met and hung up on her. And I was like shaking mad, like, mm-hmm. like I was shaking. And because I remember my oldest daughter, who's super sensitive, was like, Mom, are you all right? What did, you know, what happened? And they knew I was talking to my, my birth mother. And they had met her before, too. And they called her Nana. And um, although we lived a distance apart, so they didn't see her a lot. There wasn't, a, like, a closeness there. But, mm-hmm. And then my younger daughter was like, you know, like, that's not fine. That's not fine that she talked to you. Because that's not okay that she upset you. Like, she was really, like, protective of me. Yeah. And then I was just kind of, like, I, like, had to, like, pull myself together and be like, all right, guys, let's get in the car. It's time to go to the game. And, uh, but I was, like, just so upset. That was the beginning of the end for them. Now, I said Allison fast-forwarded a bit, so now let's go back. Before she met Jean, she met Jean's brother, who lives in New Hampshire, right up there in New England, near Allison. She said he's just a great guy with a great wife, and they have some great kids. So she would say things like, oh, I know you're really close to Rob and Kathy, but you don't want to be close to me. And I say, it's not that I don't want to be close to you. I, I, I don't know how to be close to you. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to make this work. You know, like, because it's, it's everything I said, she would twist around. Like, like one example was when I met her, 
I had some, my grandmother lived with us when I was growing up. We had an in-law apartment at our house and I was close to her. And so in, when I met her, we had all these great long, you know, like heartfelt conversations. One thing I had shared with her is how my grandmother had this really big fear of, of our birth mothers like mine or my brothers coming back for us. So she actually said, I remember her saying, you know, Allison, I just always had a fear that that woman would come back and try to take you from us. And so I told Jean about that and Jean was like, fine. Like when I told her it was no big deal, but later if I said, you know, something, something, my grandmother, she would go, Oh, I don't like your grandmother. She called me that woman. You know, so things like that. Does that make sense to you? How, How the relationship turned? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was like, Everything started being twisted, like like weaponized against me. She felt like she just couldn't navigate a relationship with Jean. Then, after all they had been through, Jean finally revealed something that Allison never could have known. It was the day after their big blow-up, where each agreed it was better to act like they had never met. She called me the next day and begged me to not cut her off from her life. And, and then she goes, you know, my psych- I talked to my psychiatrist, and she said, you're right, and I'm wrong. And I said, psychiatrist. And she said, yeah, I have bipolar. And she, and like, she had never told me that before. We, we'd been, you know, like we'd been in contact for years. Wow. And she said it just like that. And I thought, it, it, and obviously, you know, I'm thinking, okay, this makes sense. And it's obviously not being managed properly. Like, because I could kind of like see the sort of, you know, dramatic like highs and lows of her, of her personality, like, you right. know, during, over the years, you know, I was mm-hmm. like, okay, this makes so much more sense. But that's like how I would find things out, like in this real like backdoor way. Mm-hmm. So, mm. so we never really could, um, you know, like it just didn't turn out, you know, like yeah. I it started out strong and I thought it was going to be great. And then it just couldn't, I couldn't say anything. I, I couldn't, I just, I just, it just didn't work. And then I also like at some point realized like, I am the one that had no choice in this, right? You know, like when you realize, like, you know, my, my adoptive parents had a choice. They, cho- they chose to adopt. My birth mother had a choice, even though in some senses she didn't. But there were still choices made, right, right, right. that weren't my choices. That's right. I mean, I'm the only one that, that completely had no choice. So I realized that, like, in this, in reunion, I can choose who I have relationships with and who I don't. You know, I, I, you know so I realized it's okay. Like, I don't need to make this work with my birth mother. So they haven't broken up per se, but their contact is minimal now. Allison and Jean are friends over social media, but even that has gone wrong. Things that feel normal, like casual commentary online, get misconstrued and overblown. So Allison blocked Jean online for a while, until she begged not to be cut off from Allison's online life. And so she posted this thing about, it was stupid, but it was this stupid thing about how she hates when people say that she, that her daughter looks like her. And I kind of wrote back to her and we were friendly, you know, not like close, but friendly. And I wrote back to her like, oh, you know, like the thing is, Jen, she does look just like you. And, you know, you know, like you can embrace it. I embrace it. If you were adopted, you would completely enjoy that resemblance. You know, you just would. And, um, and so she was like, you know, so, so. Jen wrote back, so the sister, and she said something like, no, no, she's not like me. Her essence is so different. Like, it was just something. It wasn't anything. It was stupid. And, um, but then my birth mother chimes in, and she said, I agree with both of my daughters, although only one of them allows me to call her daughter. Totally unnecessary. Yeah, yeah and public. Yeah. Right? So I was, and that's how it always has been. You know, like, you know, I try to normal with, you know, with her, and I can't. You know, just try to be normal, and it just 
anything that feels normal, like a, like a casual comment to my, my half-sister, gets twisted into something else. Yeah, it turns into something. So, yeah. you know. Yeah, so I ended up like, you know, kind of inboxing her on Facebook saying like, listen, we can't be Facebook friends anymore. I can't. That was awful. And then again, you know, please don't cut me off. I'll only look at your pictures. I realized while we were chatting that I didn't have a feel for the overlap of finding Jean and whether Allison's mother was still alive at the time. She said her adoptive mother was still with her when she found Jean. So I asked how she had shared everything with her mother. Let me ask you something else. That's kind of where we are. Yeah. Did you, uh, was your mom alive when you found your biological mother? She was. And how, how did you share this with her along the way, and how did she take it? Um, you know, I gotta tell you, I didn't talk to her about it very much. And, um, and it's, it's kind of a regret I have now um, about that. So I had told her, so when I met Tim, you know, my biological father, um, <sighs> I told her, and she was in, 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 and she was cool. Like, you know, that's good. Um, you know, you need to get your medical information. I think that's important. So she was kind of like for it, but not enthusiastic about it. Like she wasn't, you know, she didn't call me before, like good luck, or call me after, like how'd it go? You know what I mean? Right. Like, you know, I really think it made her uncomfortable. And then so when Tim found Jean for me, I told her. And she was like, oh, that's good. You'll get more pieces to the puzzle. I, I'm not sure I'm right about this. I felt at the time she didn't really want to engage about it. So I didn't talk about it very much. I mean, I did tell her, you know, like after the trip to California, I came over, you know, as I do often. And she said, how was, how was California? But not how was your birth mother? How was, <laughs> I mean, how was California? Yeah. And I said, it was incredible. We went, we went to Disney and, you know, like I started talking about all this stupid stuff that didn't have anything to do with meeting her. And and she didn't push me for more, so I, I'm not sure she wanted to know more. But in hindsight, I mean, I really wish I could talk to her about this now. I wonder if she thought I didn't want to tell her more. So I'm not, I'm not sure I handled that right. She um, sounds like she was treading lightly, hoping that you would share more. And, like, you both were sort right. of pushing and pulling a little bit to try to figure out who was going to share. And neither did, so you didn't. Yeah, uh, that's completely right. Wow. Yeah, that's completely right. So we didn't. I mean, I and um, and even like my sister, who I'm, who you know, I'm close to, she didn't ask me a lot either. She was just like I would tell her, and she'd always be like, "Cool, yeah, that's cool. That's good that you know that." Like you know, not unsupportive, mm-hmm. but not super curious. And I and I think she just just felt like protective, like we're your family, and you know, you're my sister. You've always been my sister, regardless of whether we're related by blood. You know, like mm-hmm. I think she's maybe a little uncomfortable sharing me. Yeah. So I so I never really was that you know forthcoming with my with my adoptive family about it and mm-hmm. and although to, to fast forward you know and this is so I've been in reunion for 35 years um, I think things have finally kind of come full circle so this summer our youngest daughter got married and um, so I, at a table at the reception just at our house we had a big tent in our yard and it was it was fabulous and but at one table sat birth family from both my biological father's side. So he had, he has a brother that I'm very close to that I met after he died. He had a sister that I was actually really close to. She came to my other daughter's wedding, but she's since passed away. Um, my uncle Rob, who was my birth mother's brother, mm-hmm. um, was at the table with his wife and his kids. My cousins were all grown up and have kids of their own. <laughs> um, my brother um, that, it, you know, that I was raised with, my sister that I was raised with, 
they were all at one table. They all wow. ate together. They danced together. It was like, it was so, it was such a moment for me in, in, in a day of moments looking over at that table thinking, look at that. That is my family. Allison said at that wedding, she just decided to back off from trying to protect everyone's feelings. So she sat everyone together at the table and it worked out great. But did you hear what I thought I heard? It sounded like Allison said Tim was dead. She told me the story of trying to separate from him and how she learned of his passing. I had at some point said, listen, Tim, you know, like, we can't talk all the time. Like, I, I can't do it. You know, I have a family and this is hard for me to try to navigate a relationship. And I, I really care about, you know, I'm glad I've met you, but I, I just, I can't all the time talk to you. But I will always send you a Christmas card. So make sure I always know where you live and I'll always send you a Christmas card, which I always did up until he died, which is kind of important on how they found me after he died. And, and he was cool about that. He was always cool. Like as bizarre as he was, he was always, he loved me and he was really kind to me. Like he was, you know, he wasn't what I wanted or expected, but he was not mean. And so anyways, he called me out of the blue in like 2000 and he said, Hey, uh, I'm living, I'm living in Wareham, he says. And I'm like, Holy, like, no, what? And, um, yeah, I'm close to you. And I just got out. I was incarcerated, but I'm, you know, like it was a whole story. Like, like this is normal, you know, like I was incarcerated. Now I'm out and I'm living with some friends and I'm like right near you. Do you think we can get together? And I said, I'm going to have to call you back. And, you know, so at this point I have kids and, you know, it was, it was crazy. And I felt like panicked, you know, like, why, why, like, why is this coming back now? And, you know, why, do, why, why am I having to make a choice about Tim again? And so I went next door and our neighbor um, was the chief of police. And I said, listen, can you tell me anything about somebody? And, you know, and he said, yeah, what's his birthday? And I give it to him. And so he calls me the next day and I, t and I tell him, you know, like, listen, Walt, this is not my father. I had a father that raised me. He was my dad. This is my birth father. His name is Tim. This isn't my, you know, like I just always felt like I needed to separate that all the time for people. Yeah. And, um, and so, and especially cause I, you know, and maybe I wouldn't have been like that if I was delighted with who my birth parents were. Right. I was just and, thinking um, that. Yeah. Yeah. Fair. Right. <laughs> So, so Walt, so he calls me over the next day and he goes, you're going to want to sit. And I'm like, again, and um, <laughs> so he takes, he takes this, this like fold. You remember like how computer paper used to come out of a printer, like all like perforated and connected to each other. The that dot, was dot, yeah. dot, dot, print out. Dot matrix printers. Okay, so, yeah. Yes. So that, and he takes it, he holds it up to a ceiling and it goes funk, 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 all the way to the floor. It was this, it was criminal record. <gasps> it was humongous. Holy I know. crap. Wow. I know, oh my I know, God. I know, I know. I was like, oh my God, you know, like, and I was like sick over it. Like, like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And so, you know, so he's, this is what he said to me. He goes, so is this all my preface of saying, you know, this isn't my father that, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, hey, your, your dad's a pretty bad dude. <laughs> You're not my dad. <laughs> you know, but people can't with that, you know. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> they just can't. Yeah, so he was like, he's, he's a bad guy. You gotta, you should stay away from him. And I said, okay. Um, but then when I read the police record, it was like, I mean, he's a bad guy. Like, there's there's no question. Like, he did a lot of bad things. and But it wasn't, you know, like, he didn't murder anybody. So that, yeah. I guess. Um, was it you more know, the, so, yeah. the bad things that people do when they're under the influence? Like, just the bad decisions yeah. kind of thing? Yeah, 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 and things like and things that people do when they want to get money and they don't have any for drugs, right, those things, right? right? They're right. like breaking and entering and drunk driving and yeah, assault and battery, you know, stuff. And um, so I ended up, you know, connecting with him again after that, and I said, I I'll meet you. I don't know what gets into me sometimes, and 
and so I met him. We met like at a Dunkin' Donuts, and I hadn't seen him in a long, long time. He had looked really different, and um, so I met him, and I, and we, you know, like we both had, you know, like you know something to drink, and I don't know if we, I don't know if we had donuts, and and I said, um, I, you know, I told him, I told him that I, I, I knew his, you know, like I had his record, and that I wasn't comfortable having him as part of our family, and um, and he was real sad, and I, and I was sad to tell him, but I also felt like it was right. It's just like a lot of chaos to add to my family that I'm raising, and 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 you know, and to be honest, I didn't I didn't like him. I didn't. I never connected to him. I never felt. I never. You know what I mean? Like we didn't connect. Yeah. Yeah. It was never good for me. It was, and um. So I just said, you know, I you know, like I'm I'm glad I'm glad I I met you. I'm glad to have answers. I'm glad you're out of prison or whatever wherever you were, and I hope you do okay. But I I just I can't. And he said, we keep sending me Christmas cards. And I said, as long as I have your address, I will. And so I, so I did. So anyway, so in 2008, I got a call from his brother, Stephen. And he said, and I never, and I never met him or talked to him because Tim never connected me to his family. Like even his mother was alive when we met and he never introduced us. Like he really? never, and he threatened to, like he would say, Oh my God, you would love my sister, Nora. She's so smart. She's a really successful businesswoman in, in San Francisco. And you would really hit it off with her. And I'd say, I'd like to meet her. And then he would never follow through with it. Wow. And so, yeah, it was sad. Cause that, it, it, you know, so anyway, so I, I knew of his siblings, but I had never met them and I missed the chance to meet his mom, which I, I would have liked to have done. And, um, oh, so okay. Stephen called me and he said, he goes, uh, Allison, this is Stephen Bunting. And I said, huh? And he said, I, I need to tell you, your father died. And, and, you know, like, you know, I'm really protective about the language thing. And I'm thinking my father, you know, like my father died in 1981 mm-hmm. and, you know, I'm like, oh, oh, Tim, Tim died. And then I'm saying to him. I'm so sorry, because this is his brother, right? And although they hated each other and they didn't really have contact, but mm. I said, and I kept saying to him, I'm so sorry. And he kept saying to me, I'm so sorry. Like, it was real weird. Yeah. And, um, like, whose loss is it? No, it's yours. No, it's yours. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> so, you know, so I was like, what happened? And, and, and he died of, it was a combination of things, but the main thing was an overdose. And he was, you know, he had just turned 60 years old. It was, it was weird. So, you know, I kept saying, I'm so sorry. And he was saying, I'm sorry. And then he said, you know, my sister Nora wants to call you. She's wanted to know you for a long time, but Tim would never connect her. He never would give us your information. And I said, okay. You know, we hung up and, and my husband was, was out like a business dinner. And, you know, so I just like was sitting and I thinking, okay, so Tim died, Tim died. And I kept thinking, I'm probably going to feel sad about this. And then I just didn't. And then I thought, maybe tomorrow I'm going to be sad about this, but I wasn't. And I wanted to be because just I'm a human, right? Right. And it's my birth father, and I wanted to feel something, and I didn't feel anything. Hmm. I didn't feel anything. I also didn't feel relieved, which I think is something. Um, but I didn't feel. I just was. I just thought it was sad, but I didn't. I don't know. I just didn't. I didn't feel anything. The next day, Nora, sister to Tim and successful San Francisco businesswoman, finally connected with Allison. She called me and she said, I have wanted to know you for the last 20 years, oh. however long it was. Oh, man. And I was like, oh, my gosh, you sound so normal, which is my bar. <laughs> I know, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, normal. <laughs> well, when the bar is low, there's nowhere to go but up, right? It's, it's, that's exactly right. And so, you know, so, so out of this death, I found Stephen and Nora, and it was great. Like, they're both phenomenal people. They both had a horrendous childhood and um, really made something of their lives, I think, against the odds. 
and it was great. You know, so go ahead. I, I can't help thinking about the fact that he didn't connect you to his siblings. And it makes me think of that train ride that you had on your way to see him, where you looked in the mirror, basically, in, the, in your reflection and yeah. said, you know, basically you questioned how much he was going to like you. And the fact that he yeah, didn't connect you to his own siblings, knowing that mm-hmm. he was not a great guy and they were right. successful people, I think he he limited your contact from them because he knew that you were going to be disappointed in him if you saw how everybody else turned out. He did that either consciously or unconsciously, but intentionally, you know? Yeah, it was intentional. I completely agree with you. Mm. And and it was, and it was a huge loss because once I met Steven and Nora, and then I ended up only having like eight years of Nora before she passed away. Mm -hmm. Um, but, But we connected hard. Like it was unbelievable. Like just, you know, you know, like we talked on the phone a lot and we got together um, you know, like, no, I mean, Nora lives in San Francisco, but she, she's a few months after Tim died, they had a memorial service, just family really. And at Steven's house, which was, is like an hour from me. And I was able to meet her then and spend time with her then. And, and, you know, and after that I went to, you know, I, I went to see her in San Francisco and mm-hmm. she came here and we talked on the phone frequently. And between her and Steven, I felt like they filled in a lot of holes for me, mm-hmm. um, for why Tim was the way he was which was really helpful, you know, like awful things happened to him when he was growing up. And, you know, not that that excuses all of the bad choices, but it was helpful to me. It gives you context Um, to understand how people have, everybody's life has a couple of paths and, you know, you choose one path and then there's another set of choices and it's, and some of the circumstances influence the paths that you're, that are available for you. And unfortunately he he had some real tough circumstances that forced his path in a certain direction. And he probably yeah, that's completely true. Yeah, all true. So it was, it was, yeah, it was helpful. That was helpful to me. Like it helped me, you know, put, you know, it just gave me some peace about him. And also that that like I hated. It's hard for me to describe how much I hated that I was related to him. Like I, I just, I hated it. And then when I met them, I thought, no, I'm all right. You know, like yeah, you know, like there's 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 good stuff there too. You know. Um, it's funny so, how we know, so sort of was... ascribe our own self-worth to the people that we're related to when, in mm-hmm. fact, it really is kind of all about us. You know, like your own yeah, individual so identity is you. It's only right. you. Yeah. Um, you can have yeah, – I, I know how – I understand how people have sort of shame for who they're related to and all that kind of stuff. Right. But ultimately, it comes down to what people think and know about you. Mm-hmm. Allison said there were more relatives than Nora and Steve who have been important in overcoming her ill feelings toward being related to Tim. Her uncle Rob on her birth mother's side was also a really nice addition to her positive reunion experiences. As things happened, Tim died after Allison's adoptive mother's passing. In the year after his death, Allison really felt an incredible longing to see her detailed adoption records. She said part of it was missing her own parents. And part of it was the fact that she had been through home studies for her own adoptees, so she knew how comprehensive and personal the information contained within them can be. Allison wanted to see her parents' answers to the barrage of questions a home study poses. That was her history, too. I wanted that piece of history. I was like, I want my mom and dad in that place in that time. I want to read that. I want to see the questions they had to answer, what they said what the interviews were like. Like, I, I, I should have that. I want that. The adoption agency Allison was adopted through was closed, but 
all the records were transitioned to a place called the Home for Little Wanderers. Speaking to one of their social workers, Allison explained that her adopted parents were deceased. Her birth father was dead too, but she was in reunion and had everyone's identifying information already. So she asked the simple question, What do I need to do to get my, my, my adoption records? And she said to me, There's nothing you can do to get them. They don't belong to you. They didn't belong to your parents. They didn't belong to your birth parents. They belong to the agency, and they'll be destroyed in 99 years, and it's not one thing that you can do to get them. Wow. And I was like, yeah, right? Like, like no compassion. And I was so angry, and I thought, oh, you, you do not know who you're dealing with. Like, I will get them. <laughs> and, and, you know, and I, and, you know, like, I am a pit bull like that. Like, I, I, if I want to know something, I'm going to find out. And, like, I mean, I even found my brother's birth mother. Like, I find out everything. I want to know everything. So, Anyways, I, I ended up going to court and petitioned to, ha- to have my unredacted adoption records, and the, and the judge said, yes, you, know, you can have them. So then I called this woman at the Little Wanderers, and I said, listen, I have a court order. And she said, you know, you seem to think that a court order means I'm going to give you the records. I'm not. She said, um, I'm going to present the court order to our legal team, and you'll hear back from us. So they fought me. They said, no, I couldn't have them. And I had to actually had to hire a lawyer and go to court and like my lawyer against the, the, the lawyer for the home for little wanderers to get access to my own information. So, you know, it's like it was a big deal. But the, one of the funny thing was that the lawyer for the agency came up to me like before the hearing and, and she said, hey, I just wanted to say hi to you. And I said, oh, OK. And she so she like grabs my arms and she like squeezes and she goes, I hope you win today. <laughs> it's like she's the other lawyer. Wow, that's funny. <laughs> It was super cute. She's like, I'm just doing my job, but you know, like you should totally have your information. Look at you. You're nice. You're a nice woman. She said, and I'm like, I am. (laughs) She's super cute. I mean, so she was great. She didn't put up any fight. The judge just said, listen, I've said this once and I'm not saying it again. She didn't have her records. So anyways, I got my unredacted adoption records. Good for you. And, um, and they were, they were mind blowing. Damon, they were a hundred pages about single spaced typewritten pages that was not only my parents' home study, which was just mind-blowing, like so sweet and, and, and sad, like, you know, like just seeing their struggle with infertility kind of firsthand in real time, you know, mm-hmm. um, all the questions they had to answer, kind of how judgmental social workers could be because they don't think anybody's ever going to read these, you know. And, um, you know, so there's a lot of kind of sad stuff in there. And, um, but it was really the, the part reading about my parents was just so just took me back in time to, to before I was even born to see where they were and how much they wanted to become parents and, and how happy I am that they became my parents, you know? And, um, but then the real amazing thing of these records was, was there was like close to 50 pages of stuff on Jean, my birth mother. So it had all these interviews with her at the home from my mother's and it had interviews with her after I was born. It, it, um, it was, you know, like it was all documented. Like there was a point where Tim, my birth father found out that I had been born and, um, and then said to her, now, now mind you, he's 15, that he was going to marry her and they were, they were going to get the baby. And I was still mm-hmm. in foster care at this point. I hadn't been placed. And so they went to the adoption agency. It's all documented, you know, like they want the baby back. And, um, you know, it's like a whole thing. Like they met several times. And, it, you know, so this, this social worker um, very wisely, you know, kind of redirected them. And, and she, she, they ended up, you know, sticking with the adoption plan. But, it, you know, like it was just a lot of really personal things and the struggles that Jean had 
after that, it was all documented. She had met with Jean's parents, and they were really worried about her. And by the time, you know, the records ended, so it was over a period of, like, more than a year, she was pregnant again with, uh, with another child that she also placed for adoption. Which I didn't, she did tell me about at some point after we had met mm-hmm. that she had had another baby that she had placed for adoption. So it was like, you know, but it was like really like seeing the journey and sort of the sadness and her longing for love really, you know, documented in real time that was like really like invaluable to me to, to really, just really feel for her and what she went through. Yeah, um, there's a. There's, it, gave me, it gave me a lot of compassion. You know, we started this conversation talking a little bit about, or at least in the middle, we said something along the lines of, you know, a lot of these decisions were made absent our own input. And it's helpful then right. to see this historical context and to understand then how people got to the point that this adoption happened. And it's more yeah, than it just huge. seeing your, your birth name on your birth certificate, it's more than just seeing the date and time that were factually mm-hmm. accurate. It's about all right. of the decisions, as, as I said before, the path of someone's life and mm-hmm. the choices that they make along the way that end up putting right. them in a place where you are relinquished and are with your parents. It's That's important right. historical detail, information, and knowledge about yourself that's invaluable. Yeah. No, no it's, so, it's so crazy because I remember saying to that social worker, so let me get this straight. You right now could open my adoption records and read every word of it, and it means nothing to you. But it means everything to me, and I'm not allowed to read it. She said, that's correct. God, that's – boy, that must have been infuriating. Like, I know that lit worker. the fire. <laughs> I know that lit I was the like, fire. Yeah, it was. And then that was crazy. So that's how I ended up – remember I told you at the beginning of our conversation that, that Sheila Frankel, who helped your friend – in yeah. his adoption journey, um, I ended up connecting with her like through the social worker we used to adopt our boys. And I, so I had said to the, our social worker, like, listen, help me out here. What do I need to do to get my records? She goes, I know somebody that knows everything. She said, don't tell her how you got, got her number. And then she gave me that woman's number. And she's the one that's like, hire a lawyer. I'm like, oh, I'm in. Apparently, Allison is never satisfied on her quest for information. So she sought the records for a time when Tim was in a reform school called the Lyman School. Unfortunately, the records were in disarray, so Allison couldn't get what she was looking for. But the archivist gave Allison the phone number of a woman in a senior leadership position in the Department of Social Services. The agency had been involved with Tim's family for many years, and the woman gave Allison Tim's records. So it really showed me a lot of the, you know, really awful, like, you know, like there was sexual abuse and physical abuse and Mm -hmm. like a huge amount of neglect and just a lot of awfulness and um, a lot of chaos. And so having those was, was another piece for me to, to kind of make peace with Tim also. I'll you know, like I felt like finally I think, yeah, I felt like I think I understand you now. I think I know what happened. But like I'm not, I don't think I'm mad anymore that you're my birth father. Wow. That's, I'm okay. that's humongous. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, it was humongous. Yeah, it was great. It was, it was super helpful to me. So. Mm. So, yeah, so that was that was pretty cool. Wow, Allison, this has been, <laughs> like I told you at the beginning, <laughs> yeah. every time I listen to someone's story, I make this prediction mm-hmm. in my mind un- unconsciously, and I'm like, I know where this is going. And, yeah, of course. And, you know, you've just taken me down another path um, that I never thought I would hear, and this, is, this has been fascinating. I appreciate you taking time to share your journey. Thank you. Yeah, you're so welcome. It's been, you know, it's my pleasure. I, it's, you know, it's been 35 years, and it's been you know, a lot of surprises and a lot of disappointments, but 
people ask me a lot if um, I'm glad I I'm glad I searched. Like, although I didn't actually technically search, but you know, like if I was glad I knew. And yeah. um, you know, so it's been 35 years. I think any given year I would have given you a different answer. Yeah, I'm glad. No, I'm not. Like, I should <laughs> never have done it. Like, I, I never really like. I have no idea. But I think in the end, I think a bad truth is better than a good lie. So mm. even though my birth parents were not what I wanted mm-hmm. or expected, yes, it's still my story, and I'm glad I know it. That's right. And a lot of good came from it, too, you know, especially with the connections I've made with extended family members that are really just great. I love what you just said. So, yeah. A bad truth is better than a good lie. I love that. That's amazing. It is, right? Yeah. Yeah, you mean you can't, yeah, we can't all have those great stories. That's um, true. They're real. They're they don't also, they don't clean up well yeah. all the time. So and but they don't and also like had had you interviewed me I'm sorry I mean to cut you off. It's okay. If you had interviewed me like a year after I'd met my birth mother, you would have gotten a whole different story from me. I would have been like, It's great. It's you know, like life. It just keeps changing over time. Yeah. Um Well so, anyway. Thank you so much for sharing your story, Allison. This is this is really unbelievable. But thank yeah, you. good luck editing this one, huh? Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> and I tell you what, I was just sitting there thinking that too, but I tell you what, I, I, I'm really glad that you said that last piece about seeking legal access to your records because I feel like mm. more of us need to stand up and say something. Yeah. And I feel like we haven't reached I, yeah, I agree. a critical mass of people such that it is – um, really commonly, openly accepted that these are are bits of information about us that we should have, and I feel I'm glad. Yeah, we that should you have. We this. shouldn't have to fight for it. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I agree. It's it's, it's not it's not cool and it's not okay. Yeah. people people deserve their histories. Who 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 is somebody else to decide we shouldn't know our own stories? That's I, ridiculous. Yeah, totally agree. It's yeah. funny because I I um I wrote but like on my you know my notes to talk to I wrote really big like tell him about finding my like tell him about fi- getting my original um you know, unredacted birth adoption records because I really felt like I, I wanted to make sure people knew that, that that's something they can do, that yeah. they can, that's something they can fight for. You know, I think I think it's important, but I just, I appreciate you very much. I, I love your podcast. I, you know, keep going. I, I, every story I love. Thank you so much. All the best to you. Have a great weekend. Okay, Allison? All right. Take care. All right. Thanks so much, Damon. Bye-bye. Right, take care. Bye. Hey, it's me. Allison's story clearly underscores for me how important it is for adoptees to have access to their own information. I really liked that she took legal action and gained access to her entire adoption history, and I believe we need to log these stories of legal triumph amongst each other to empower one another to change what is currently accepted when it comes to accessing our personal information. Gaining access to her adoption records, Allison learned so much context about her adoptive parents and where they were in their lives to adopt her, and where her birth parents were in their lives to be in a place to relinquish her. It also sunk in for me that the adoption agencies have engaged in some marketing of children they're working to place, changing Tim's narrative from trying to find his way out of trouble at 15 years old to being quote-unquote away at school. The psychology of the time, and may still be true today, was to make everyone look as good as possible to the people on the other side of the equation. Adoptive parents wanted to feel like their child came from decent stock, and relinquished parents were made to feel that the family their child was going to live with was ready to provide everything that the birth parents could not. To borrow Allison's words, a bad truth is better than a good lie. And there's one more thing about Jean and Allison that Allison wanted to make sure that you guys heard. Her words are these. 
One interaction that I had with her that I wish I had shared was when my mom died in 2007. I was completely devastated. I knew Jean would want to know, so I called one of my half-brothers to tell him and asked him to tell her. I also told him that I didn't want her to call. A few minutes later, the phone rang and it was her, and although I didn't think I wanted to talk to her, I picked up. She simply said, I'm just so sorry, I know how much you loved your mom. Those words, they meant so much. I started to cry, I cried and I cried, and she just kept saying, I know, I know. In a relationship with so many wrong moves, her calling me was exactly the right move. It was incredibly comforting and meaningful to have my birth mother comfort me as I grieved the mother that raised me. It was a good moment for us. I'll never forget it. I'm Damon Davis, and I hope you'll find something in Allison's journey that inspires you, validates your feelings about wanting to search, or motivates you to have the strength along your journey to learn. Who am I, really? If you would like to share your adoption journey and your attempt to connect with your biological family, please visit whoamireallypodcast.com slash share. You can choose to share your whole story, maintain some privacy about parts of your journey, or share completely anonymously. You can find the show at facebook.com slash whoamireally, or follow me on Twitter at whoamireally. And please, if you like the show, you can support me at patreon.com slash whoamireally. You can subscribe to Who Am I Really on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, it would mean so much to me if you would take a moment to share a rating or leave a comment. Those ratings can help others to find the podcast too.